and sometimes why. Why? You're listening to And Sometimes Why, twice-monthly, long-form conversation podcast hosted by singer-songwriter, producer, and pseudo-intellectual Rob Szabo. Hey, folks. Welcome to And Sometimes Why. I'm Rob Szabo, your host, just like she says in the intro. On the show today, we have Caroline Marie Brooks, who has just released a fantastic new album, You may know her from The Good Lovelies. One-third of The Good Lovelies is Caroline Marie Brooks. She is one-third of The Good Lovelies, however you want to say it. You may remember the chat I had with Carrie O of Good Lovelies back in 2020. She was one of my first couple dozen guests. I think she was number 23. Anyway, we have a great chat, and I love Caroline's new album. It's just fantastic. I just go on and on about it in our chat. So how are you guys doing now that we're back at it, now that we're into October and away from the holidays and summer heat and relaxation, all of the things that I love, that most of us love? I get sort of a sense of melancholy often around this time of year. I kind of mourn the loss of that that life. I had an interesting experience earlier today, though, like I've said on the show a lot, I often go to Kensington Market. There's a park there that I work out in. They've got pull-up bars. I've been working out throughout the pandemic. That's when I started to go there because I couldn't go to the gym at our condo. And over the course of the pandemic, it's become increasingly populated with homeless people living in tents. I guess they've been moved from many of the other parks like Trinity Bellwoods, you know, the cops ousted them uh, sort of public on the news all the time in the summertime. There used to be very few, and now almost the entire park is covered with these tents, and there's sort of elaborate living scenarios with like, it's almost like seeing into the inside of someone's house. They've got mirrors set up, full, you know, kitchen setups, you name it. The point I'm getting to is I overheard a conversation one of these people having, I guess it was a couple. So I'm doing, you know, I do pull-ups and then I run over. I try not to get up in their shit, but it's hard not to because you're so close. I mean, you're like four or five, 10 feet away at most. And they're going about their business, mostly inside their tents. And so I'm doing my pull-ups and then I run around the other side to make sure to give them their space. And I do some push-ups and I overheard this couple having an argument about keeping the tent clean. He was yelling, it happened to be a dude going, "Why? I don't know why you can't keep this area clean. If you can't do better, you're going to have to leave and this kind of thing. And the point I'm getting at here is they're just arguing about the same kind of shit that everyone argues about. And it shouldn't be that I'm that surprised about that. It's just, I want to get back to the, the, this is the title. This is something I've been thinking about and that I often hold in my mind. This idea of we're all going through so many conflicting thoughts at any given time. That's the name of Caroline's new album. I didn't just think this up to tie it in. It's literally what I had this revelation or this insight this morning as I was listening to these people argue. This idea that on the one hand, so did I actually say the name of her album is Everything at the Same Time? I don't know if I was clear about that. Okay, so back to the story. I'm listening to these people argue, and I'm thinking, there's no fucking way that I can relate to what they're going through, to what their life experience is like, 
what they're up against day to day, what they've been through. Because my life experience has been so privileged, so much more privileged in a lot of ways. But on the other hand, they're going through exactly the same shit that all of us go through on a kind of day-to-day, you know, having an argument about keeping the damn place clean. Enjoying the podcast? Make sure to subscribe in the app you're using to get new episodes twice a month. Want to help spread the word? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. More reviews and ratings means the algorithm shows and sometimes why to more people. If you listen on Spotify, you can share directly to your Instagram and Facebook stories. It all helps get the word out. But the very best thing you can do is tell a friend. All right, let's dig into this conversation with Caroline Marie Brooks. Her new album is called Everything at the Same Time. It came out about two weeks ago on September 24th. I can't tell you how much I love her new record. Not only in terms of recognizing what a major talent she is as a songwriter, as a singer, but it's exactly to my taste. I love all of the choices she's making, the sounds, her guitar playing, and you'll hear me go on and on in the conversation, but it just does something for me. And that's saying a lot as I get older, because I don't know, I find myself, I'm more suspicious of things. I'm less willing to take a chance on the investment in new things, new people, and I could do better, but let me just say, I love her new record. So let's dig into this conversation with one third of the Juno winning Good Lovelies, who now has a fantastic solo record. This is my conversation with my dear friend, Caroline Marie Brooks. incoming video you know how you can do that on zoom yeah yeah i put another window in front of myself when i talk oh you know what i'm gonna do that too i'm gonna open like a picture or something yeah yeah i just open a word file because i've got all my notes i've got like four pages of notes because i'm just so excited right (laughs) such a nerd i love that i remember reading about that i read a lot of seth godin and he's like it's been so unnatural for us to all be looking at ourselves for this amount of time totally like when else in life would we have, would that happen, you know? Well, Carrie O actually told me about it because she was like, there's this whole thing about screen fatigue. And Uh it's actually a lot of it's related to having to monitor yourself, like what you look like all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I do that when when I talk (laughs) instead of just like being emotive and being in the moment, right? Just like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're doing hair flips. <laughs> do I do hair flips all do the time? Do, do you do hair flips, Rob? My hair flips are a little, a little different. Back in the day, maybe. Yeah. Not so much. Not so. Your new album is so beautiful. It's so I'm in love with. I can't believe it. I'm just gonna gush about it for Aww, the whole time. Thank you. Congrats. I'm so happy for you. I've been. Thanks. I feel like I've been waiting for this album for years. I've been such a fan of yours, and I just. I just love everything about it. It feels effortless and it just feels like you're firing on all cylinders, like you're at the top of your game as a singer, as a writer, as a producer. Uh, it's it's just killing me. Oh, that is coming from you. That is uh, it's pretty special. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> 
more than that, even it feels like I'm just going to go on and on here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Keep it coming. <laughs> you just need more hair flips while I'm doing yeah, this. Would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> like it feels like a classic album to me already. Like it feels like it's got that quality where it feels like you're just singing to me. Oh. You know what I mean? Like you're sharing these intimate things about your life, but it's my life too, and it, hmm. it uh, just really connected with it. Thank you. Uh, that's that that was a that was a big goal was the intimacy and just like the frankness and uh honesty and just feeling like you're in a room with somebody that's always yeah. been my goal as a songwriter so thank you for saying that. Yeah, it really feels like that. How did it come together? Like I have the sense that you worked on it over a long period. Is that right or Yes and no. We've been friends for a long time. So you you know that you know, I have music that exists outside of my main thing, which is Good Lovelies, a trio from Toronto. Everybody on this podcast knows about you guys. <laughs> I listened. I loved your interview with Carrie. That was amazing. I love that interview so much. But I've been wanting to make a record of very personal music for a long time. But, you know, the timing was never quite right. And approaching my 40th birthday, um, I wanted to mark this specific time of my life and the feelings that I'm having in this very specific time. And actually, most of the songs, uh, minus one, and there's one cover as well, mm -hmm. were written in the period of one year. Um, and I started recording the songs uh, last November, um, which means from like writing to the release point, it's like a year and a half. So a lot of the songs just sort of gushed out in a very short period of time, minus the first single, which was written three years ago. And that song really is kind of like, let's say this record is my PhD. Then that, <laughs> that song is like the thesis of the record, if that makes sense. <laughs> That's how you're thinking of the record. It's your PhD. Yeah, this is my PhD. I'm not probably, I, you know, it's going to be a very long time till I do another one. And I really wanted to mark this specific time. So yeah, that, that song Vitamin, which is the lead single uh, from the record is like the thesis of the record. I like to think of it that way. <laughs> Dr. Brooks. Dr. Brooks. <laughs> well, it really does feel like what I was saying earlier about like, like the culmination of your life's work to this point, it really does feel like a definitive statement. I love another thing about it that you talked about being 40. Hmm. It's got this nuanced, mature outlook, like mature in air quotes, like that's <laughs> mature. What do people mean when they say that? But I just mean like wise. The thing that I keep coming back to with it, the happy, sad at the same time, I mean, that's the name of the album, right? Of course, this is deliberate on your mm -hmm. part. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's such an important feeling and idea to get across at this cultural moment when everyone's so polarized and everything is, you know, you have to be this one thing as opposed to, hey, we're all so many different things at once mm -hmm. and they're often conflicting things at once yeah i think it's so important to get that out into the world i love that you're saying that yeah there's a lot of that in this record and in my own personal feelings a lot of these songs come out of my experience as a mother and a, a parent to young children and you know there's this great saying um which is the days are long and the years are short and right. so that kind of nuance that you know, things are moving slow, but also very fast. Um, I like that you mentioned the polarity of right now, because this is, you know, COVID times. I don't think I've ever seen people so angry. Um, yeah. But the lyric that the 
title of the record came from is called Blue as the Moon. And I actually wrote it the day Biden won the election. Oh, so, really? Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, I, I remember just being, I was at a park and we were all waiting for election results for days and days. And all of a sudden I heard some other parents at the park like yelling Biden won and like people were actually so joyful and I had a little cry and then I also realized I was still like there's still a lot of heaviness even though you know in that moment personally because of my political leanings and my feelings I felt a lightness I also immediately felt a sadness because I felt like well this is not the answer even though it is certainly uh, step in what I consider to be the right direction. So, you know, like that mixed emotions thing always. Um, uh, yeah, I, I feel that deeply. And that lives at the center of this record for sure. Almost in every yeah. song, I would say. That's what hit me. And I, I love that because that's my experience too. Mm. And I guess some, there's a lot of people that feel like that, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. that's that's what it feels like to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're saying that. And you said it came together around being 40. Was 40, was that a big thing for you? Yeah, 40 is a big thing. I'm not scared of 40, but 40 feels like a big milestone, even more than 30 did. Uh -huh. You have those um, big landmark moments. And for me, turning 40 felt like a new stage. Mm -hmm. I still feel young, but I also feel like I'm living as an older person now, like I have a lot mm -hmm. of responsibilities and I shoulder them with joy, mostly. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm not afraid of being 40 or afraid of getting older, but certainly like mortality plays a big role in the songs I've been writing and thinking about a lot in aging and, you know, in relation to my own parents and my children and that continuum. I've been spending a lot of time up north this year and my grandmother is 92, and she lives in a little town called Berks Falls, where a lot of the imagery from this record was shot. The visuals, a lot of the visuals were shot up there at uh, this farm property I spent mm -hmm. a lot of time at. And I've been thinking a lot about, like, on my 40th birthday, basically, we had this big party, and it was my family, and my grandmother was there, and my daughter. And we took this family photo with four generations, and I just, I just thought about that line and where I am in it and how I relate to like my mother and thinking of my mother at my age and then thinking about my grandmother at my age and then what my daughter will be like at my age and all those things feeding into each other. So yeah, 40, 40 feels like a, a milestone in that it marks a very specific time of my life. And I'll always, I, I mean, now that I made this record, I specifically will always feel like I've captured that time. Wow. That's really beautiful. That image of your your lineage laid out yeah. like that in a photo. That's heavy. It's, yeah, it, it is heavy actually. And and sometimes a little overwhelming if I start thinking about it too much. Um, yeah. So I waffle between, waffle between, you know, like really sitting in that heaviness and trying to like feel it. And then also just putting it a bit at bay so that I can, you know, exist as a Yeah, I mean, do we all have to being? kind of push that? <laughs> yeah. You can't be talking about that shit all the time yeah. Yeah, and like being... really living in it. <laughs> this is my therapy session, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, there's one of the songs. So I got into the lyrics. Garden song. Mm. Talking about thinking about mortality. And you, one line is, my dreams are unsettling. I dream of people I love dying. Perfectly aware harvest cannot last forever. Mm. And like, oh my, talk about like, you can't live in that every no. moment of your life. But I love that you share that. I mean, 
I'm constantly going there in my day-to-day life and I have to like bring myself back like, okay, let's, you know, let's get the dishes done or whatever it is, right? My dreams are unsettling. I dream of people I love dying as if to prepare me for the inevitable of everything shifting. Oh. That was a tough one to write because I feel like we all have those thoughts, but in the past I've censored myself from writing them because. Yeah. They feel like if I'm putting it out into the world, it's like speaking a truth. You know what I mean? I'm admitting something. And I wrote that and it was really uncomfortable writing that. But it's also true. You know, like those are real feelings I have. And I remember we were tracking some percussion and some bass for that song in Toronto at this studio called Dream Date, Josh Van Tassel's studio. Yeah. And I got the news that one of my dear friends is stage four metastatic cancer, got the news oh. that day. And it was like, we're recording that song and I'm sitting with this and I kind of cursed myself because I was like, well, now I have to sit with this while we're recording it. It was really heavy and it was actually mm-hmm. very also beautiful. It's like that, again, that duality of feeling where you're just like, yeah. okay, this hurts, but it's also, I feel, I'm feeling this. So I feel alive. Mm-hmm. And you're acknowledging it and admitting it like you just said Mm -hmm. that's so important like it makes me feel better (laughs) like i i beat myself up like like, why you have to think of shit like this but hearing you admit that you think of stuff like that made me feel like hey maybe i'm all right you know but seriously (laughs) thank you for that i mean if anything music is that connector in a way to make us i'm just you know developing this thought as it's coming out of my mouth like maybe that's why i've loved music all this while that you, you can just feel like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm good. I'm okay. Someone I respect yeah. <laughs> feels like I do. Yeah, that sharing feeling for sure, definitely. I think that's why we connect to certain types of music and certain yeah. lyrics. Like if they speak to you and make you feel comforted, even if they're uncomfortable. Yeah, and hearing you say you hesitated about it, that really hits me too. Because a lot of the music that I write tends to live in that kind of space. Mm-hmm. Like whatever you want to say, sad, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll often censor myself for that very reason. I feel like, oh, I don't want to put that out in the world. I don't want to live there Mm -hmm. and have this be like a document of that forever. Yeah. But at the same time, it's important. I mean, I've just told you that I'm really grateful that you did it. Thanks, Rob. So let's talk about something super positive. Yeah, let's do it. Your voice. You have one of my favorite voices ever. I just want to get inside of your head and like, do you remember, was there a moment when you first realized, because I mean, you've been hearing this for years and years and years. You tour all over the world with Good Lovelies. And do you remember when you first realized like, holy shit, I've got a gift. I've got something unique as a singer. Well, that is nice to hear. I... But come on, you've, no, you've been I, hearing this. No, this I, like, I have been. Yeah, for sure. People For decades. <laughs> But I will say that one of my musical insecurities is my voice. I like don't have a typical voice. I I wouldn't say that, you know, sometimes I listen to it and I don't know if you have this experience, but it's just like you like your own voice, but you also kind of cringe a little bit. I just cringe. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I don't have a unique voice like you have like a one in a million kind of voice. I've got like, you know, a regular dude singing voice. <laughs> Right? I don't know, Rob. I love your voice so much. We're going to fight about it. That's not what this is about. (laughs) 
Um, well, that, that, I mean, harnessing the uniqueness of it is definitely something I've embraced in the last, you know, I would say five years. And Good Lovelies set me on that path, like really allowed me to find my voice, especially in that trio setting where my voice plays a very specific role. Totally. And that's been really formative and has taught me, yeah, it's taught me so much about what my voice can do and what my range is. And writing music for solo recording is very different because all of a sudden you have more freedom, maybe in melody writing. And Mm -hmm. I just sort of let my voice lead a lot of this melody writing and try not to overthink it because in the past I've spent a lot of time trying to you know straighten out melody lines to really maybe deliberately consciously yeah yeah deliberately to help suit say a three-part harmony situation or just because maybe I felt like that was what was expected of me in terms of like you know pop writing or you know that's interesting I wouldn't have guessed that Yeah, it's been something I've thought about a lot in the last few years, especially. So when I was writing these songs, I felt like I wanted to liberate myself of that expectation. Um, And I just sort of let a lot of these melodies flow. And yeah, it's really fun to sing a lot of these songs. Oh, yeah, that hit me. I I was going to ask you about that because first two singles both have really sophisticated melodies. Right away, they tweak my ear. I'm like, in vitamin, you're going major minor major (laughs) that's for you know i'm we're music nerds here we can talk like this but for for regular people that doesn't happen in pop music often at all it's really kind of high level shit (laughs) right away i'm like oh my god she's doing this this is great (laughs) (laughs) it's so gratifying put the sunlight underneath my skin i'm in need of the best vitamin i will give you something in return something of myself it's also really gratifying to sing because that melody line is unconventional. And uh-huh. um, yeah, it was very, very fun to arrange that song and uh, to give it, you know, have this intricate melody line, but to allow the other instruments to make room for it, but also to join in on it. Yeah, I'm Uh really, really happy with that, how that song turned out. And did that just happen? Like, it sounds like you were striving for, you said, just to give yourself space to do those kind of intricate lines. I'm just really curious about that particular thing where you're doing something even more deliberate or your ear just led you there or you're like, no, I'm going to I'm going to do something I wouldn't normally do here. That's a great question. Are you speak? Are you talking specifically about melody writing or exactly the songs melody? That, yeah, the melody, the melody itself. So, did you have a bunch of chords that led you there, or the melody led you there? Yeah. So, my writing tends to be chord driven. So, like, I'll start with um, some kind of chord progression, and I would say most of the time, melodies will just come pretty quickly. Uh-huh. Um, there are a few parts of songs like, let's just say Vitamin, for example, the bridge took me a long time to get to, but uh-huh. the rest of the song, that melody sort of flowed quite quickly. And in some cases, I try not to second guess it, right? Like if oh, it's yeah. coming out of me and it feels really natural, I don't want to spend a ton of time revisiting it or editing it too much. Yeah, me too. Same yeah, thing, exactly. Same. Although... You just said earlier that sometimes you tried to straighten things out. I so do. that's interesting. Yeah. So, but this case, I didn't. I know the impulse you're talking about, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Because somewhere in the back of your head, you're like, 
is this going to be a, a single or, you know, mm-hmm. is this like, what am I trying to do here? Once you're a person who's made multiple records, yeah. especially in a band context, yeah. there's a lot of different balls to keep in the air, you know? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because my whole approach making this record was as a gift to myself, almost. Uh, uh, I wanted, I'm going to use the word a lot probably during this interview is like liberate myself from uh-huh. expectation of how the songs should be or where they might end up. So uh-huh. while I was writing the songs, I wasn't thinking, oh, this is a, you know, CBC Radio 2 song or this could end up here. Like I just wrote these songs because they felt right to me at this time. And I really, I mean, that's a gift. What a privilege to make a record with uh, no that kidding. in mind because we don't really have that privilege as full-time musicians. But this was something I really wanted to do. And there's like, for me, a little bit of, there's a raw element about that that made this experience so lovely. And it just allowed me to have those kind of melodies or explore instrumentation or sounds that I wasn't I wasn't concerned about whether they would limit the reach of the song. Like if these songs, if people find their way to these songs, that will make me really happy. But ultimately, and maybe this sounds selfish, I wanted to make this record for myself. I wanted to mark this time. It's almost like just create a personal legacy for myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, sounds really selfish, but... It's interesting, though, because I know what you're talking about. I've often felt like, wow, this whole pursuit is so selfish. Like all the time mm-hmm. I spent, especially in, in uh, the context of a relationship, yeah. like any time I'm killing myself over whatever this pursuit is, I'm not spending with my family and nurturing relationships. Yeah. You know, the closest people to me are the ones that suffer because of the sacrifice I'm making for this thing that I, I've decided is so important. But yeah, it's at the same time it it's so nourishing to other people. So again, it's (laughs) it's all this stuff at the same time, right? Yeah. That selfishness is I feel it deeply because I feel a lot of sense of responsibility towards my family, my children in particular. And when we were shut out of touring uh, last year, I knew that this was like a window of time where I could really make a record, you know? Yeah. I had to put, I really had to put some boundaries down because I don't know about you, but I can get really swept up in home life and just this time will go by and I just won't make the time for myself. But I really, I really use this record as a way for, for me to have time to myself and make music that was nourishing to me so that I could come back to my family and be a better mother and be a better person, a better partner. So yeah, it's like, it it feels selfish in a way, but it's also necessary for me to do in order to be fully present with my family. Yeah, I love the way you articulated that. That's the way I feel about music too. It's like, I don't think someone would want to live with me if I didn't have that outlet. I wouldn't be any fun to be around. No, I know exactly that feeling. I think as we get older, that's one of the biggest bits of wisdom that I've come to, that you really do have to be selfish to some degree in order to be giving. Yeah. Ironically. And I wouldn't be a good parent if I wasn't showing my kids that. You know what Uh I mean? Like if I was just completely giving of myself to my children, I'd be modeling something that's not sustainable, right? Like I want them to grow up and be like, here are my boundaries. Yeah. (laughs) I need time to myself to be a fully formed human. Like I cannot just be 
one thing. I'm not just a mother. I'm not just a musician. I'm not just this person. I'm a whole person. And it means that I have to be away sometimes, or it means I have to take time to myself. So I want them to see that too. And I'm really lucky. As you know, Rob, I have an amazing partner in crime. <laughs> yeah, I like love, he's, I love the guy. He's an incredible person and it, and it works both ways because we make sure that we're giving each other the space and allowing each other to dream so that we can be our best selves and it's a constant thing like we're always negotiating like <laughs> figuring out who who's going to do what when and how we're going to manage this and it's not perfect by any means but it's always on our minds like making sure that we have this life outside of our parenthood mm -hmm. that must be tricky i mean cat and i cat who i often talk about I on this podcast we don't have kids <laughs> right yeah. but I, so i'm just imagining all the things we, you know, the communication you develop to try and make sure that you're both getting what you need and being selfish enough, but being giving enough and being present like you're talking about, but then add kids to the mix. Mm -hmm. And the juggling must be uh, really something. Yeah, it's... Especially traveling. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely challenging. We have a lot of hands on deck, so it certainly helps. Like with my in my in-laws are here a lot to help and... Uh -huh. um, my sister it's yeah it's pretty great in that way but yeah there's always juggling I think it doesn't matter even if you have kids or not it's all scalable <laughs> like it's all the same thing it's just you adapt to it and you just you just move through it you know but ultimately for me it's important and I'm learning more and more as I get older what I need to do in order to be more present and be a better mother a better partner and a, just a better person. It's a constant uh, evolution. I love what you said about COVID that you recognized at a certain point that, hey, this is an opportunity. I think a lot of artists went one way or the other on that, went like, oh, this is my time. This is mm -hmm. my sabbatical that may never come again in my life. Or, oh, I guess I'm retired. <laughs> I'm going to take it easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Because I mean, when are you ever going to have this time? I love that I have this record to listen to now because of COVID. Thanks, That's COVID. Another up yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that you have a song for your dad on this album, too. Yeah, he plays on that song. He plays actually. on it, too. Yeah. He plays beautifully. You know, he's such a great player. How did that come about, that song? It's an instrumental. So I was writing the main guitar part for a while. And as you know, my dad's a musician and has had a deep impact on my songwriting. And I will think, I think even more so on my guitar playing. Right. I was really lucky. I grew up in a house with like amazing guitars everywhere. And your mom and dad yeah. were in a touring band, were they, they not? They still are. They're actually recording right now. So they have a, oh, a band great. called Brookfield. And uh -huh. I grew up in the family band. So they love to joke that they had children for backup singers, which is hilarious. <laughs> but I grew up in this household where music was very present. And my dad had these great guitars just kicking around in alternate tunings. My first record is mostly on like Dadgad or something yeah. like that. And I was, I've been playing, a lot of these songs are actually in drop D and capoed up and down the neck. Yeah, I noticed um, that. Love that sound. And Me too. Uh, I was playing this line and I, I was just, it, it was basically, I was playing my dad, my dad's kind of guitar playing. And I wrote this 
uh, song. And I wrote a second part, uh, which he modified. Thankfully, it's so beautiful. And yeah, now we have this like English folk instrumental duo on the record, which I'm very proud of. Yeah, I was going to say that about your guitar playing. It really is to my taste as a guitar player. Like it, it's not just first position chords. You're doing a lot of dadgad and drop D mm. stuff. I love those close voicings where it's like all low voicings and it kind of doesn't sound mean, but it kind of has a weight to it. Yeah. I love that about your playing. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I love that too. I love exploring that kind of like melody writing, but in darker tones, you know what I yeah. mean? In those low, lower registers. And also just moving... Um, moving it up and down the neck is very satisfying. And some of that came from your dad. Like that's, is oh, yeah. that how he plays? To some yeah. I guess the tunings were there. Yeah, he has like great, he plays in these crazy tunings. Like I'm pretty limited. I love the D spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wrote one, actually there's a song on the record in Open C, I believe. I think that's uh -huh. Open C. Um, but my dad, you know, sometimes it's kind of annoying because I'll pick up a guitar. I'll be like, what is it? What is this in, dad? And he'll be like, it's in Fadfac. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we make a lot of Fadfac jokes at my dad's house. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I have memories of being a young kid and falling asleep. And his room was, my parents' room was next to us and he would be practicing, you know, scales or writing songs. And I can remember like his foot tapping on the floor and just uh, like, I love that idea of like me falling asleep to his, the rhythm of his foot. And so a lot of his melody writing, like a guitar, specifically guitar writing, I feel is ingrained in how I like to write songs, in particular fingerstyle playing, because he's really an incredible fingerstyle guitarist. So yeah, it was nice to pay homage to him. Yeah, it was touching to me. And it's, it's a great song beyond that. Like, I didn't even know Thanks. that's what it was until I read the liner notes. Because yeah. <laughs> I was just listening to the music going, oh, wow, that's some beautiful playing. Oh, that's that's wonderful. This is great. She put an instrumental on this thing. Then you read that and it's other layer of depth to it. Yeah. Actually, was also a pretty big moment for me because I recorded his guitar part myself and like edited it. So that was one of the first experiences I've had where I was on my own and like engineering and getting sounds that I really like. And my, my dad's pretty good at this too, but it was really, yeah, it was a pleasure. I like recorded him in his living room and yeah. So that was part of the evolution too, because you're a producer on this record. Yeah, I would, co I would say I'm a co-producer on the record, but yeah, I worked with Jim Bryson, who is a dear friend and been a big fan of his for a long time and sung in his yeah. band and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So he did a ton of mentorship in this, in the process of this, like he helped me get set up on logic and I did, you know, I could do some remote recordings. Like I recorded, I was able to record my mom and sister's vocals and, um, did a bunch of the vocal editing for myself. Cause I find that really fun to be able just to sit and kind of curse at my own singing without the discomfort of someone else in the room. So we did about, you know, we tracked most of it, um, at his place at Fixed Hinge in Stittsville, Ontario, which is near Ottawa. And yeah, he, he has been instrumental in getting me set up and uh, helping me do my home recording thing. It just opened right. a lot of doors for me, especially during COVID. Yeah, it's so freeing, right? So freeing, so freeing. Yeah, and, and you can drive yourself nuts doing vocal editing. 
Yeah, I actually right? really like you're like just it. describing. <laughs> you, you love me too. I get, I get right into it. At a certain point, though, I had to stop myself and go, I, can I really have perspective on editing my own vocals? Like, really? What am I doing? <laughs> I'm not saying anything about you, but I'm just like, yeah. I can go down a rabbit hole with that. Yeah, he definitely would go back in and be like, this is not the best take. So it was good to have, you know, his his ears on a lot of that. And he has great ears for sounds, especially. We, did. Uh-huh. we chased sounds a lot, especially like... I'm in love with the sounds of the acoustic guitars on this record. Like oh, he, me he did too. such a good job oh. capturing them. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautifully recorded. Mm-hmm. Everything about the production is to my taste. I just, I can't say enough about it. Oh, thank it's, you. Yeah. And in, in addition, I'm getting excited. I gotta, I gotta calm down here. I need a, <laughs> a, a timeout. <laughs> so you just finished saying you recorded your mom and your sister. What song did they sing on? They're on Vitamins. So they sing okay. They sing the unisons in the chorus. Oh, okay. But our voices yeah. are so similar that sometimes it's hard to hear us, like, Yeah, separate. I thought that was you, the no, unisons. it's my huh. mom and sister, and yeah. You did more unison than I would expect. Was that deliberate because you wanted to get away from the harmony sound of the Lovelies? I didn't intentionally want to get away from the harmony thing. Um, yeah. It's more like the songs were calling for more of a unison sound. Um, There are some harmonies on the record, but not really three-part harmonies. I think maybe there's one spot where there's three three of me singing. But um, yeah, I didn't feel like these songs called for it. For whatever reason, maybe maybe I was rebelling. (laughs) 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 I I, I, in the moment it sort of didn't occur to me that these songs needed that three part yeah yeah it hit me great i just wondered whether it was deliberate Mm. your brother sang on the record too yeah he did an amazing amazing vocal on a song i wrote with peter katz so i I wrote that song with peter katz called lights go down and my brother is a really talented pop singer and writer was he the high male voice in that because it's a few male voices it's all him it's all him that's his voice Oh my God, I love the tone of his voice. I know, right? It's so beautiful. In the moments when the lights go down Finally I'm just with you And we both let go of the world around In the moments when the lights go It's funny, we come from the same home, but our musical circles are very different. He lives in like a hip-hop, pop, R&B world. Is he in LA? He was for a bit. Yeah, he's back in Ontario. But anyways, I I sent him the track and I said, can you sing some harmonies on the choruses? And he sent back like 20 harmonies. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay, we need to scale this back a bit. This is a folk record after all. And it, and uh but it was it was it's so beautiful. I'm so happy with how that song turned out because oh it was a bit God. of an outlier that that song for a yeah. while. I wasn't sure where where it would sit like thematically from a lyrical perspective. It fits into the into the PhD thesis of the record, but I had a really hard time finding the sound of that song. <laughs> I'm laughing because of the PhD thesis thing. Because the, the lyric I highlighted from that song is, when there's no time for the feelings and we're just living to exist. So it's very focused. Yeah. The PhD, the yeah. thesis, is very, very focused. Yeah. I can yeah. relate. Yeah. So it must have been difficult to work with Peter. 
Eh, he's oh, he's a hard guy to be around. He's like the worst. <laughs> I just can't with Peter. No, Peter made me cry during that session. Like we've just like working with Peter is such a joy. He's such a talented co-writer because as you know, he just he is focused. He's so mm-hmm. good at keeping us reined in. And I think lyrically he really is great for me to work with because he challenges me. Because I will write lyrics that I feel like they make sense to me. And I he's like, What what are you really trying to say? <laughs> but it's not clear. It's not clear to other people. And I sometimes don't care. Like for me, sometimes I mean, I like. It's okay well, if they're more like atmospheric or evocative, but they're not pointing at a specific meaning. Yeah, like I, or perhaps I think they're pointing at a specific meaning, but that right. meaning might not be getting across to other people. Yeah. But I find working with Peter is so, he's so good at just saying, okay, what are you really trying to say? And, you know, how can we say it maybe in a more either direct way or a way that more people will get. And I just, that song we wrote in one day, it was a great session and lots of feelings, of course, with Peter. He's so good at doing that. And I love him so much. I know there's a lot of good feelings. Lots of feelings. Yeah, lots of feelings, always. (laughs) At uh, mining those or like being present enough to, it's that's a tricky thing. I found in co-writing, when I'm alone, obviously you can get there however you need to get there. But being with someone like, you know, hi, hey, you want to get coffee? And then you're going to be talking about your innermost feelings and trying to somehow conjure that. It doesn't always happen, right? It has to be a special chemistry. Yeah, I was hoping we could talk about that because I I'm so curious about how other musicians do it and I find uh-huh. I find the co-write actually incredibly challenging. Me too. I'm terrible at it depending on the situation. Yeah, sometimes it's amazing. If the chemistry's there. Yeah. Yeah, if the chemistry's to me I just come back to chemistry for it. Mm. If if the chemistry's there it, and it's often if you do different things. That's in my experience. So I have co-written. It's funny. I just said that I'm terrible at co-writing. I co-write on almost every album I produce, (laughs) but it's a different role. If you're doing different things, I find it works better. And especially if there's not, I don't like the pressure of the moment for co-writing. I really Mm -hmm. like to send ideas back and forth and be able to just say what hits you immediately, viscerally. And then go, okay, I'm done. That's what I have to offer. I'm not going to sit and, you know, sitting across from somebody and staring at each other for two hours while you try to get that one line. That's That doesn't work for me very well. No, me neither. Same. I feel that I really admire people who do the boardroom music yeah. thing. Like, yeah. And they're able to tap into a feeling and, you know, write a great song. But I and I have done a ton of co-writing with Carrie and Sue through Good Lovelies, um, though it's usually a little different. Mo- usually the songs come more fully formed, and we mm-hmm. sort of like refine. you guys come in and say, "Hey, this is my idea." Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we will like we'll work on lyrics together or melodies or whatever uh-huh. or progressions. But I do it too, Rob. Like I definitely co-write, and a lot of the times I see it sort of as a challenge to myself. But it is uh-huh. it is. It can be so hard to feel authentic. Yeah, that's my feeling, 100%. Yeah. What you said articulates my feeling precisely. Yeah. And that for me is the most important thing in songwriting is to actually, you know, I I love a good song that has a great, like a danceable beat with a great lyrical hook. And I know a lot of those songs come from boardrooms, Mm -hmm. but 
I don't like for myself, I just want to write authentically and feel like what I'm putting out, I can fully stand behind and say, this is me mm-hmm. um, or this is my interpretation of this thing. But yeah, the authenticity is a tough one, I feel, in certain co-writes, for sure. Yeah, I keep coming back to chemistry, but yeah. So we've talked about Good Lovelies a lot, and we mentioned we had Carrie on earlier on the podcast. And I, I wanted to ask you, how does it feel to be kind of stepping out from the band, doing your own thing? Mm. And this is a band that's been your home for such a long time. Like how many years is it? 2007, uh, something like be, that? Two, it'll be 16 years in December. Wow. And you yeah. guys have traveled all over the world and, you know, you guys are a big deal. Yeah. And now you've, you're saying, hey, I've got something to say yeah. on my own. What's, what's that discussion like? Yeah. I, it's funny you said the word stepping out because I actually just feel like more lifted by, you know, mm-hmm. um, when I approach Carrie and Sue about the idea, I mean, they've known for years that I would want to, you know, make something separate from the band. And Carrie released a solo record she a few did, years yeah. ago too. Yeah. yeah. So there was a precedent for sure. So that, you know, like the thing is we have such a supportive, it's like a family and it's very supportive and it's hard in some ways because Good Lovelies is my home and it is my main, main, it is my job. Like it's my main creative outlet and for me to do this will certainly in some ways, it affects the band, you know, but sure. anytime any one of us creatively does something different, it's also good for the band too. But they've been really involved in the process. It's really nice. Carrie and I spent a lot of time looking. She helped me sequence the record. They both sing on different tracks. Yeah. Not together. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Sue did all the graphic design for the record. She did an amazing job. And um, I've I, it's been such a nice experience for me because there are certain elements of our work that I'm not really involved in because of the way Good Lovelies is set up. We have really kind of siloed certain aspects of our job like in terms of like business yeah, kind of things yeah, yeah. so i'd love now, to hear more more about that yeah it's i mean it was kind of a divide and conquer thing in the beginning and as we just refined our skills going forward we just took on certain parts of the job because for a long time we were unmanaged we like we you know we've been in a very indie band for most of our years so there are certain things that you know sue takes care of that i never take care of uh and i was just like holy shit, I have no idea how this works. <laughs> Which is actually really good, like, teachable f- moment as someone who's been a professional musician for, like, 15 years to know that I don't know about, like, how to... This is super embarrassing, but, like, I don't do my own SOCAN registrations because Sue has always done that. And I, you know, I did them before our band started, but it's been I love many years. hearing this. Yeah, so... It's fantastic. I have to... I Like, there's definitely been some calls where I'm like, guys, I need your help. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> and I, I like to think that maybe I'll be able to return the favor someday. But yeah, it's been it's been a really good learning experience for, in that regard and also incredibly humbling. It's so I wanted to come back to something you said way early in the conversation because you just called the Good Lovelies your job and you were saying something about the privilege 
to make a record where you allowed yourself not to have commercial considerations. And that was a privilege. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? I'd love to hear you talk more about that. What do you mean when you say that? Um, so if you've been doing something for a long time, you have an audience and there are always certain expectations around what you should be doing for that audience, for people who've been following you for years. Um, there's expectations around, you know, how you deliver something, what it looks like, what it sounds like. And even though we are very lucky as a band to be really in charge of our own destiny, like we truly, we steer our own ship. That sort of lives for me as a writer and a performer. Um, it's in the back of my mind. And I'm trying as I get older again to like rid myself of that. But part of this experience of making this solo record was just allowing myself to step away from that and not worry where things would end up. And also like in terms of the songwriting, not being stuck on things like form. I was like, I don't want to put a bridge in this song instead mm-hmm. of being like, this song should have a bridge or it won't get here. You know what I mean? Or um, mm-hmm. So I, I really felt like I didn't want any expectations to cloud the music that I was creating. And I'm not saying that that's really what happens for sure with Good Lovelies, but with anything that you've been doing for, you know, 10, 12 years, there's a certain amount of expectation around that. We're just entering into a new record cycle. So we're writing now for a new Good Lovelies record. And it's it's really exciting to me to enter back into that with Carrie and Sue, with this kind of new feeling where I just don't really care about that stuff as much as I used to. Like staying on brand kind of thing. Yeah, not just staying on brand, because we've definitely moved away from our brand in the past. You know, we had this old timey folk thing at the beginning and, you know, we made then we made a Americana record and then we made sort of a more pop record. And uh-huh. so that's that's a thing. But it's more just like with the songs allowing myself a freedom, not thinking too much about the destination of those songs. I totally feel that. That's why I asked. I can totally relate, especially having made so many records where, you know, someone comes to me and they say, well, this is, you know, making a record just for art, just to express something Mm -hmm. is one thing. Mm -hmm. But typically people come to you because they have commercial aspirations. Mm -hmm. So there are goalposts for those, as you know, and then that's always in the back of your mind. You know, is this going to work for this use this aspiration and then everything kind of has to conform to that or if it doesn't then you see it as a failure or there's all that tied up in it so yeah i can really relate Mm -hmm. so it it must feel good to you that you've it seems like you've come to a different understanding around that yeah and we've talked about it a lot as a trio too lately just talking about like how we want to approach the next record and the kind of sounds we want. And there will be an evolution, of course, as we work with a producer and the songs themselves are, you know, we decide on which ones we're going to, we're going to put on a record, but yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to come to this point where I just realized like, I don't really care as much. (laughs) Obviously I want to make a living. Obviously I want people to listen to the music, but at the same time, like, that sense of need for validation that I used to have, I don't have it in the same way anymore. And maybe I'm trying to convince myself of that. Maybe I 
I do really secretly want validation. I mean, we all want validation, but just like feeling like I'm shrugging it off in a different way. I guess there's different kinds of validation, right? External validation, internal validation. Mm -hmm. Does it feel internally like you got what you were going for? Yeah. Yeah. I feel so proud of this record and the arc of the storytelling and the vision behind the visuals too. Like all of these things came together and I surrounded myself with the people I knew would help me get there. Totally. Yeah, I feel internally very validated. And it's funny to say that because it makes me feel like maybe I'm too proud or something, but <laughs> I love it. I don't think there's any shame in that's <laughs> Of course, if you like making a record that you feel great about, yeah. what what better high is there? No, I mean, that's, no. that's why I do music, like making something and you listen back and you go, that's what I was going for. Yeah. What a feeling. Yeah, it's such a great feeling. I've been listening to... Um, old Good Lovelies records because we've been revisiting some old material and I just like, this is a fucking great record. Like, I just, yeah. I just love it and oh, it depend, you know. And it's not like you listen to it every day, No, right? no, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Sometimes people, you know, who are non-musicians, like, you, you listen to your stuff all the time. I'm like, no, not since right after I made it, really. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fucking sit around listening to my own music. Are you kidding me? <laughs> my poor children, they're like, people are like, what do you think of mommy's record? And my daughter the other day, she's like, it was nice the first time. <laughs> <laughs> because she heard you editing and going yeah. over stuff. Yeah. Right. I'd be like, Colin, come listen to this mix. Like, And Annie's just like, ah. <laughs> Do you use him as a sounding board? I do. Yeah. yeah. And he's, it's interesting because he's not a musician at all, but he's an appreciator and he'll give me his honest feelings about stuff. I, I greatly respect his ear because he's not listening in the same way you and I would listen to something. That's why I ask because my partner, Kat, she is the best judge of whether something's worth listening to because she's so brutally honest and if i don't give her any caveats or just listen to the thing and if there's something wrong she'll point it out like wow. meaning if a civilian if there's you know if something's not working she'll just be like why is why does it sound like that or do you really want to be saying that yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic she's that's, so honest that's such a good thing and and do you take it well like or do you oh, get yeah. hurt like oh yeah. yeah i'm okay. so grateful because then then she will backpedal because she's a sensitive person. But as she's backpedaling, I'll say, no, 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 no. Thank you. Thank you. What you're doing is is so valuable. That's, that's so great. Because it's so hard to have perspective, right? It is. Yeah. Especially if you're in something for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So you're talking about going back to, to earlier Good Lovely stuff. And I've wanted to ask you about this for years. You toured as a new mother. Yeah. Right? You're, you're staring at me like, yeah, and? Because I saw some of it on social media, and I remember talking maybe to you, but we never really got into it. I'm just, now that you have the wisdom of age. <laughs> I'm 40 now. Would you do it again? No. <laughs> that no. was difficult. You're really pussyfooted around that. The... Yeah. I say, I say no, but it was definitely an incredible experience and so just so people know people listening know so you toured with a baby at what age so i toured with annie my first daughter uh, i was 31 and she was her first show was 9 weeks old highly don't recommend that it was really mm. not the best thing for me um but you know when i 
when I got pregnant with Annie, I had a year of like, it was like 115 shows. And if you, you know, in our work, that shows are our primary form of um, income. And I felt responsible also for my bandmates who rely on me. And we're also not the kind of band who just replaces a band member. Like we have an understanding. And um, at first we thought, okay, maybe we can hire someone to replace me for a while. But I just decided I was going to go for it. And yeah. my mom gave me really good advice, which was your baby will be happy if you're happy and your baby is with you. And so uh -huh. a lot of it, a lot of it was pretty hairy. Um, but she was the right baby to take on tour. I was really tired and I learned some pretty hard lessons. Like I had some vocal issues in that first summer after she was born. Like I was just, I was at the Cal Calgary Folk Festival and I was like, yeah, my voice is going like something is really up. Um, so I, I wore myself out. So when I say no, I mean, I probably wouldn't have done it to the same extent, but I think it was really great for us as a band to experience together. Um, I couldn't have done it with different people. Like I had so much support from Carrie and Sue on those tours. And at the time we were touring with Ben Whiteley and Paul Matthew, and they mm -hmm. were amazing with my daughter too. So they would help and Colin would come when he could. And I took my mom on some tours. I took my sister on tour. I hired babysitters at venues. It was, it was, taught me a lot about living in motion. And mm -hmm. I talked a big game at the time about, you know, just making it work. And it was, you know, this amazing experience and it was amazing, but I really wouldn't do it to the same extent I did with her. And I did it less, yeah. less with Wallace and that felt more manageable. But again, it's totally, I think it all depends on what kind of kid you have, what kind of person you are, how flexible you are, how easy you can, you know, shift schedules, all those things. But I had some super beautiful experiences with my kids on the road. And like, they've been to Australia and Germany. And um, I went on tour with the Vinyl Cafe with Annie, which was a beautiful experience. One of, probably one of my top five touring experiences of my life was having her on that tour with us. And um, so I wouldn't change it, but I probably would have done a little less. What was it about that tour that was so special? Well, I was really nervous. So for context, if anybody doesn't know, the Vinyl Cafe was this sort of traveling radio show in Canada. It was a really beautiful kind of family experience. So they did this Christmas tour every year and would see it. I think we did like 28 shows across Canada and they were live in person shows and then would translate to the radio later on in the Christmas season. So we're on tour. I was really nervous because we we're on a bus and we we're on a bus mm -hmm. with the whole crew and the performers. And I had this baby and she was like 18 months or something. And I was just really nervous about, you know, what she would do and other pe how other people would manage. And they'd never taken a baby on the road before, but I was nursing still. And I was just like, I can't be away from my, my child for that long. So she ended up coming on the bus and Stuart gave up the back bunk so I could have the back room to myself with her at night when we were traveling wow. overnight. It was, and everybody just rallied and she would just toddle around to everybody's room and they, Stuart would give her chocolate and, <laughs> and she would, we'd play like two songs and then leave the stage. And while we were playing, the producer, Jess Milton would be holding my baby side stage and she'd be giving directions while into her headset while bouncing. Annie on her knee like it was it was like textbook how you tour with a kid 
and what people can do with generosity. You know what I mean? Like they could have said no. They could have said this is insane, but they just made it work for us. And it ended up being like one of the greatest experiences of my life. That's beautiful. I love that people stepped up like that. That sounds like a a movie script. Yeah, it could have been. You know, the producer (laughs) with the baby on, on her lap. Yeah. Wow. You just finished saying you wouldn't do it as much. The thing that I've got in mind and why I'm kind of pursuing this line of questioning is I see you as a role model for younger women getting into music, maybe wanting to do it Mm. for their life. And obviously that's a big barrier for women who really want to do it is if they also want to have children, what does that mean? And what does that look like? And is it possible? And so I see you again, modeling that or being someone who's representing that possibility. And I've had many different women performers on this, and we've talked about representation Mm -hmm. being such a big thing, just seeing that it's possible and seeing someone else doing it, because how else do you know it's possible? Yeah, and different models of it too. Like Mm -hmm. I love, I learned a lot from other older women who had toured with kids Connie Calder. I had a nice conversation with her before I toured with kids. I talked to like the Whalen Jennies who uh, Nikki mm-hmm. Mita had twins. She just, she was like, I'm not going to do it. Like she just was like, not with twins. No. Um, but I watched people like Allison Russell, who was doing it around the same time as me. Jill Barber did it, did it as well. Yeah, yeah. And I'm now watching younger women tour with their kids or even of my age, you know? Yeah, you're right. It's, it's important. It is a barrier. I mean, being a mother is a barrier in a lot of jobs, to be honest, uh-huh. like that's why we have a, you know, a dearth of like female politicians and those kind of roles that need you to be away from the house a lot more. I think there's many reasons why there are barriers. But yeah, I think it's important for us to see uh, women who can make music touring for a living work. And I think also a lot of that is around expectations of the role that women play in partnerships and in the home. And when I talked earlier about modeling your need for boundaries, like me needing to be away for, you know, making this record was really an act of self-care in a way. (laughs) Um, It's sort of the same thing. Like, I, I remember, you know, people being like, oh, you're going on tour for two weeks and you'll be away from your child. And I was like, yeah, I have to do that. That's my job. And I would never hear that. My male counterparts being asked that question, you know, like, how do you manage that? And I think, you know, for my kids to see me go do my thing and um, return happy, that's super important. In the same way, it's important for the industry to say, we're going to provide this woman with uh, backstage care, you know, a playpen. It's like making accommodations for mothers is, and, and parents in general. I shouldn't just say mothers is really important in our job because we're away and we're traveling with our children a lot of the time. So it's it's neat to see people shifting over time and um, and also in the moment being one of the people saying, you know, to a promoter, I need you to provide milk backstage. Yeah, as opposed to champagne instead of Cristal like you guys usually get, right? We usually have all our um, green M&Ms or whatever, but uh, we need a a pack (laughs) and play. (laughs) So I want to shift gears here. You're involved with this initiative called Secondhand Sunday. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? I love this. Thanks. Yeah, um, my partner and I started this Toronto-based, it's scalable. You can do it really anywhere. It's this idea that, you know, we all have all these extra household goods kicking around 
And in Toronto, we have this thing where people just put stuff out on the curb. And, you know, there's like this curb alert thing where people just pick it up and, and take it to their houses or whatever. Um, so we started thinking, like, wouldn't it be great if we had two days a year, like spring and fall cleaning, where everybody puts their stuff out on the same day? And we are able to, you know, divert these items from landfill because a lot of uh, a lot of household perfectly good household items are ending up in landfill which is crazy uh, given the need out there for household items and like clothing housewares whatever you could find in your house and Mm -hmm. we started this thing called secondhand sunday and yeah it, it takes place the last sunday of september and the last sunday of april every year and uh you can just sort of put your stuff out that day and walk the neighborhood and see what's available to you. It's like a pretty big organization to take on volunteer. <laughs> so, right. so yeah, it's like, it's, uh, it's definitely a beast, but it's been a really nice experience. What a great idea. It's such a no brainer. Like we all have so much stuff Yeah, and we're all yeah. wanting to get rid of it. Yeah. And yeah, but we need other stuff. Yes. Boom. And the other stuff is out there. We don't need to be buying it from the dollar store. Yeah. Part of this idea of the circular economy is just like cutting things out of the waste stream and reusing as long as we can, uh, as long as it's in good shape. You know, there's no reason for perfectly good things to go into the garbage. So, yeah, it's just a little thing that we can do in the many things that we can do (laughs) to help the planet. It's really important. There's so many great organizations in Toronto, like Repair Cafe, for example. You can bring your things that you need to repair, but you just don't know how. Like you have a broken toaster. Instead of like ordering a new one from Amazon, you can go to Repair Cafe and they'll show you how to fix it. Yeah, there's like textile sharing and there's the tool library where you can like Instead of buying tools for your house, you can just go and rent them. That's fantastic. There's so many great orgs in Toronto, for sure. That's good for the world. So kudos for, you know, taking that on. Because like what you just said, it's, it's you know, you're already stretched. But yeah. volunteering for something that you care about. Yeah. I mean, putting your money where your mouth is, that's important. So uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? I was just going to say that the record itself features so many of these amazing musicians and creative people who've helped me, you know, put the visuals out. I have a a video for a song called Bird Song coming out in early October. And that was made by uh, my brother-in-law, Simon Pollock. Yeah, just so many great musicians lent their musical voices to this record. I I just really grateful for them for doing that and for being part of it because it made me feel like a big family adventure, you know? Yeah. I'm just so grateful to have this music from you. Rob, thank you. <laughs> I'm really going to listen to this record for a long time. I'm going to keep you um, on staff and you're going to be my personal pep talk person whenever I'm feeling down. <laughs> okay. Awesome. You, you've got my number anytime. <laughs> Do you have any hopes or dreams for this music? For your music? For you? Hmm. I hope it gives people comfort. I hope my kids will listen to it later in life and feel it. I think they will, just because a lot of it is so tied to them, just so they know how I feel about things. Super long time from now when I'm not around. In like 100 years. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I, I hope to play these songs live for at least a few shows. I mean, COVID is very challenging. 
Um, yeah. I've got some really nice, uh, I, I captured uh, four of the songs in studio, live performance with Josh Van Tassel, Christine Bougie, uh, Steve Zarai, and Dean Droyard a couple oh weeks my. ago. Ugh. And I was like, by far the weakest link. <laughs> I was just like, of course you're going to say that. How lucky am I? This is, anyways, I can't wait to share that. But I'd love to play for an audience, the songs. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping that happens in the spring if everything goes well, fingers crossed. I can't thank you enough for, <laughs> for doing this. It was wonderful to be able to corner you and ask you all the things I've been wanting to ask you for years. I love it because it's like, I don't get to talk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's your questions are so great because they make me actually process things that I haven't even spoken out loud. Thank you so much, Caroline. Thanks so much, Rob. <laughs> Caroline Brooks, Caroline Marie Brooks. What a wonderful person. What a wonderful songwriter. What a great fucking record. I said it a lot, I realize, in our chat, but I'm going to keep saying it. Do whatever you have to do to go and get this record. It's on Bandcamp. There's links to buy the record in the episode notes. There's links in the episode notes, of course, as well, to support this podcast on coffee. It's always the first link. Just click support this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much to all the guests who've come on over the past many episodes. What are we at now? We're at 60, something like that. We got to be close. Anyway, thanks for listening. New episodes publish on the first and third Wednesdays of the month. So I'll see you again. I'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for giving a shit. And Sometimes Why is brought to you by Rob Zabo. Conversations are edited by Todd Donald.